Welcome to another episode of the Programmatic Digest podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Parker. And today we have Jason Dubin. Did I pronounce it right? You did. Correct. Perfect. Perfect. He is an Army Swift Knife Bump Play Wire or commonly founder and CEO. How are you doing today, Jason? Good, good. Swiss Army Knife. Swiss Army. What did I say? That's okay. Did I just... just You know what? We're we're starting out good. I I like it. You know what? It's a new (laughs) word. I'm not even going to edit this out. It's just what it is. It is exactly. what it is. So uh, it's messy, but it works. Yeah, it is lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for your flexibility. Um, before we get into today's conversation, I want to do a special thank you to our sponsor, Jobs in AdTech. If you have not checked out the website yet, Jobs in AdTech.com. Now, Jason, you have a fascinating story, and we're going to ask you in a few seconds. But for the listeners, today is all about brain safety, what it means programmatic versus direct. And then we're going to touch on in-gaming, the gaming in- the gaming industry that we heard so much about, the metaverse, things like Roblox, and now we're not hearing anything about. Maybe it's a media fault, maybe it's not. So Jason is here to clear out, demystify some of those for us, and then we'll end with a word of wisdom. All right. So Jason, again, thank you for being here. How about you tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself? How you landed in programmatic? Did you wake up one day when you were maybe thirteen and said, "I'm gonna work in programmatic"? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, okay. Believe it or not, <laughs> I was supposed to be a dentist. Uh, that, that that was. It wasn't my calling. It was more my family lineage. So okay, my father okay. was a dentist, my grandfather's dentist, my great grandfather's dentist. Dentists and teachers somehow is what makes up my family composition. Um, <laughs> so um, I started out doing that and realized that was just not my calling. Eventually got into digital media and marketing. And ultimately was a gr- my first job right out of college. I was really a graphic designer Ooh, cool. uh, making catalogs and living in New York. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was at, I was at Bloomingdale's at the time and I taught my... I, self-taught myself how to write code, right? So I'm writing PHP and MySQL and a bunch of other things. And while I'm making these catalogs and doing this website for Bloomingdale's, a buddy of mine goes, hey, there's this startup, they're in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking for people who understand the internet. And this is 1996, 97. So it was, I mean, it was brand new. Yeah. Uh, and most people did not. And I was a little bit sales, you know, an outgoing person, even though I was, you know, as a technologist. So I interviewed at this company and that startup happened to be Yahoo. Oh, yeah, so. Yeah. Exactly. So I worked at Yahoo for a while. Um, so the, you know, the, the, the rise and fall, right? The dot palm. And then from there, I went to a company called The Globe and I became um, VP of um, this company running their media division. And the media division was comprised of a few print periodicals around video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as that mm-hmm. business grew, I said, okay, let's take the print and move it over to digital, right? So online, that was my background. So I hired a bunch of editors. I made a bunch of websites. I bought content and and just couldn't get enough traction. So I just did, you know, we had the advertising dollars. We just couldn't get enough eyeballs to make it work. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I have a bunch of websites asking me, hey, why don't you represent our websites, our, our websites to the agencies? Because if you work in digital media, realize, you know, they, they like to work with the bigger companies, the bigger brands. They'd rather work with one big partner than a lot of small ones. And my initial reaction was, uh, no, thank you. We don't. We only do our owned and operated websites. And as things got harder, I said, wait a minute. They have what I need. You have what I want. Wrote up a business plan. Went to the CEO. And the CEO, as I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Fair enough, right? Lesson learned. Um, at that time, vertical ad networks had not existed. Uh-huh. So 
basically went out, uh, long, fast forward, long story short, I tried to buy the assets of the globe, ended up banging on a lot of doors, couldn't raise enough money, got a small friends and family round, and started the first ad network ever for video games. And that's how I kind of got into this industry. And I can go further from there, but I think that's kind of a good stopping point to let you know how I got into this industry. It was really, and I find this for most entrepreneurs, at least for my businesses, most people don't come up with like this amazing next idea. There's an opportunity and you can fix and fill that void. And that's really what it was. We had publishers who needed someone to represent them. They didn't understand the technology. They didn't have the sales. They know the agencies. And it really is selling is a much different business from content creation. So that's how I got into this business. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. And I won't tell you how, how old I was in 1996. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. Very young. But, uh, well, thank you for letting us know. And um, before we get into what does Playwire do and, you know, like like the pros and cons of this industry, can you define to, can you tell us and define, as if you're defining it to a five-year-old, your, what your day-to-day looks like? My day-to-day? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say is my day-to-day as a CEO, as mm-hmm. I would tell my children is, it's a lot of meetings. Oh, okay. It's a lot. I would say it's majority meetings. Yeah. Um, I would say everyone in my company from the C-level down is a player coach. So mm-hmm. everyone here sells, everyone here operates, mm-hmm. everyone here executes. Got it. Um, so everybody's hands on keyboard, basically. Uh, that or in market or selling or pitching or educating or creating. Um, we have this thing that I call, you know, can you, if, if you're especially, you know, I'm talking about the executive level, you know, right. you need to, to write the playbook and execute on the playbook, right? You, mm-hmm. if you cannot do those two things, you're not sitting in the exec, you know, you, sh- you don't belong in the executive level seat and believe, and, and we, we use terms like seat and bus, the bus is the company and the seat is the position. So mm-hmm. are you on the right bus or are you in the right seat? So my day to day mainly is dealing with my executive team, talking to my largest customers, obviously trying to get new customers mm-hmm. and just understanding the environment, right? It, it changes. Ad tech or digital media is the only industry in the world that literally changes every day, every week, every month. And if you're not planning a year or two out, mm-hmm. you've got a huge problem. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, it's because we're so heavily influenced by technology itself. And I think that's what makes it exciting. But if you're not careful, it can be very, very draining. It can be ex- oh. like very draining. Um, very true. And we can talk about what that looks like because you have you have a lot of wisdom to share with us. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about like you talk about servicing your clients. Like, what does the client of Playwire look like? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we have three tranches of mm-hmm. clients. Um, we'll talk about the smallest one. So. It- Hey, I'm a single entrepreneur. I have a blog, reminiscent mm-hmm. of yours, and I need to make more money on my site. So Playwire in its essence, it's really simple. Mm-hmm. We help publishers or content creators, that's anyone who makes content, whether you're CTV or web or app, make more money from the user base yeah, and lower their costs, right? So we take away all the tech debt. We take away all the operations debt, ad serving, mm-hmm. all the complications that come with with advertising. So that's kind of client number one. Hey, I'm a single entrepreneur and I have a small website doing 50,000 page views or more a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll then have what I would say a mid-sized client, which is, hey, I have 
anywhere from three to four employees or what have you, all the way up to like 15. And I'm doing anywhere from call it $100,000 a year up to call it a million dollars a year in ad okay. revenue. Mm-hmm. And they're at a good size, but ad tech is complex, right? You've got open bidding, Amazon TAM, header bidding, you've got pre-bid, you need identity solution. You need all this technology to make sure everything works. You got to make sure the pipes are connected. And then on top of that, you need direct sales. So that is another client that we service, surface, ser- service. <laughs> and then we have enterprise level clients, which are hey, I am a large conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Advertising is a secondary business to us. We know we can make money for, from it, but it's not our focal point. So a great example of that would be redfin.com, the largest real estate uh, app and website app. in the world. Mm-hmm. All the ads are powered by Playwire. Mm-hmm. So we have thousands of clients that we work with in all different kinds of shapes, colors, and sizes. And really, my job is really to make their life easier. They can focus on making great content. Mm-hmm. So that's selling their space or their audiences to the agencies and brands, making sure their technology is hooked up accurately while the pipes are working, and then educating the marketplace about these unique audiences. That's really what Playwire does. And those are the audiences and those are the, the clients that we serve. Got it. And um, where did Play- Playwire come from? What's that's the story? Another, right, so how much time do we have? That's another <laughs> That's another funny, long Try story. Try your best to give it to me in one minute or less. <laughs> All right. The company used to be called Intergy, I-N-T-E-R-G-I. And when we first started the company, it came from Synergy and Internet, Intergy. So <laughs> I I-N-T-E-R-G-Y like was taken. So I said, who cares? It's a name. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I'm in San Francisco one day, and I'm sitting next to a gentleman by the name of Dario Rossiti. Hi, Dario, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. He headed all of activations and media buying at OMD. And he's, we're sitting at this convention and he goes, Jason, you have the dumbest name I've ever heard. And I'm like, <laughs> Dario, what do you know? You don't know, it's a name. You've heard Yahoo, whatever. There's all these abstract names. Uh, like, Google, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, Jason, it's a stupid name. And I'm like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe it. So on the other side of him was another gentleman. He goes, partner X or gentleman X. Have you ever heard of the name Intergy? He goes, no. Are you sure you've never heard of the name Intergy? He goes, no. Oh, it happened to be a buyer from Nissan. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they are your large, you spend more money with them than any other company. And they are your best performer. Mm. The next day, I went and changed the name. I said, we're, we're getting rid of Intergy. And the reason Playwire came to, came to be was um, we were getting into video at the time. We'd made our own video player. And mm-hmm. you know it, we were transitioning from display to video as kind of like a new kind of, uh, I guess, road to go down for the company. Yeah. So it sounded techie, it made sense. And then ultimately uh, that became the name of the company, which is now Playwire. It sounded good and, and it works. It's, yeah. And it's easy to spell and it's easy to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm not going to lie. Playwire is nice. It's nice. Like Playwire is, it has a nice tone to it. <laughs> and a nice good ring to it. Yeah, exactly. So what is, um, so we're going to talk about brand safety here a little bit. Uh, what does brand safety looks like to you and to some of the clients? Because there's a ton of definition out there. Um, but for the sake of the listeners, and I'll talk about the listeners, there's 50% that are in C-suite and then 50% mm-hmm. that are programmatic ninjas in the trenches. But because as a consulting agency, we train people with no marketing background into the programmatic world for their sake. Let's let's define a little bit what that represents for the publishers that you're working with. 
what is brain safety? Sure. How do you help with brain safety? Sure, absolutely. There, so brain safety takes many different flavors for us personally, right? We Not only do we work in what I would call the normal world, we also work mm -hmm. in the COPPA world. So brain safety, it all has to be family friendly, right? So there's, there's two yeah. aspects to, okay. to that. So let's just start at the basics, right? So at a bare minimum, we'll call it table stakes, a publisher and the technology and the ads that are delivered, and we spend a lot of time doing this, is are the ads in view, right? So everyone talks about viewability. Is it over 70% viewable? Um, are the ads that we're serving seen by an actual user? So that you know, that's the number one for brand safety. Number two is proper categorization, mm -hmm. right? Are you making sure you know you don't want to call a duck a goose or a fox, you know, a fox a bird, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it? So you want to make sure like the, the the websites are categorized correctly. So is it a movie site? Is it a kid site? Is it a gaming site? Is it a is it a mom site? Um, you then get into things like IBT, invalid traffic, and bot traffic. And we use a lot of our own technology, but we also use a lot of partners for that, like right. Boat mm -hmm. or Human or Clean and IAS and lots of other third parties to make sure that, hey, are the ads not only being seen, but are they actually real users, right? That's an all that's a big deal these days. So we want to make sure the IBT is below 2%. We want to make sure the viewability is over 70%. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, is we want to make sure the content is around valid clean content, like no expletives, no pornographic material, things of that nature. And those, those are your, you know, your basic parameters that we look for mm -hmm. on its site. And we think about what Playwire does, we provide a lot of these services, if not all of them, to the publisher, other than the content they make, right? So get it, get it. providing the technology for viewability, providing the technology for IBT, mm -hmm. we're creating the ad units to make sure they only load in view. We mm -hmm. make sure the ads don't refresh out of focus. You know what that means? Out of focus. Nope. So, weird stat is most people have like twenty ta tabs open. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure Plus you're looking at now. I guarantee it. Plus some, yeah. Some vendors will let the ads refresh out of focus when the tab oh, is called out of focus. Yeah, the tab is open, so you might have an ad just kind of going. Like you'll be these hundred percent, but the tab has been yeah. open for a few days, basically. Okay, got exactly. It. So yeah. we make sure the ads don't refresh out of focus and things of that age. So there's a lot of tools that we impart and we're working hand in hand in glove with the agencies, with the brands, and especially with the SSPs and the DSPs to make sure, and they're holding us accountable. Everyone's holding everyone accountable. Yeah, 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 right. We're tracking them, they're tracking us, and that's how this whole thing works. Mm, got it, got it. And, you know, talking about category, um, I had the incomparable Aisha White on the podcast and we talked about blacklist and what it meant and how some keywords specific to someone's race or identity or ethnicity are part of the blacklist. And those are blacklists of, you know, blacklists we've worked with really big DSPs. So I'm on the buy side, I'm on the sell side, but like how, what does that represent when you hear, you know, words like black, queer being blocked, like in a, in a universal block list? Do you have any publishers that maybe check off that box? Um, and how do you protect their identity and not being part of that, you know, block list dilemma? Yeah. So inclusion and exclusion lists are a big deal. Mm -hmm. They really are. Um, yeah. And Especially we'll, we'll in this cookie-less world, like I'm hearing a lot more of it. Yeah. There's actually three types of lists. There's a, mm -hmm. an inclusion list, there's an exclusion list, and there's actually a gray list. 
Oh, great. And what is that? There's a few. Yeah, it, it's kind of like you're you're on like in probation or you know, I'm not even sure honestly what it means, but I know they exist. Mm-hmm. And these lists exist at on multiple different levels. And that's where it really gets complex. So meaning you've got lists at the holdings company like an OMG or you know, Horizon or Omnicom. And they have like this universal list of sites that they either work with or don't work with. And if you're not on that list, you know, a buyer can buy with you, but the it will never transact. Mm-hmm. Then the DSPs have the same list and the SSPs have the same list. And then it could be client specific. So, you know, part of our job is a little bit of a whack-a-mole is trying to figure out one, where these lists exist. Mm-hmm. Two, are is my website, you know, Oh, the, on my client's website on, on that list. Exactly. Yeah. And you wouldn't even know it, right? And there might be like legacy things and someone might have done something five years ago. Um, but agencies like elephants, they never they don't forget. And once you're on that list, you're on that list. So it's yeah. our job for sure. to be big enough to have those conversations at the holdings company, at the SP saying, you know, what are these lists? Who mm-hmm. is on it? And sometimes they'll tell you and sometimes they don't. Um, but where it gets even more complicated is what you just stated, which is, hey, I have a campaign. And I'm going to use certain keywords that mm-hmm. we want to detarget an exclusion list, right? So think about, and this is, this is a real world example. Um, we had a gaming client, I'm not going to say their name for, for this, for that's fine. Protect their yeah. identity. Yeah, of course. And the agency runs a campaign and they, you know, and it's a, a first person shooter game. It's all about like shooting, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It, they blocked words like, shooter or gun or, yeah. or, you know, or hate or, or words. And they're like, well, how come this is not scan? I'm like, well, every piece of content you want to be around has those words on it. Cause they're all about first person shooters and their games. So they had their best intentions, but you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. So, uh, ultimately, you know, we had to have a conversation and we had to go back and we had to, you know, advocate for it, but those things happen all the time. And that's kind of what makes our job hard is you've got these, high level decisions being made with the best intentions, but at the end really don't help you accomplish your goals. Is that why, um, because I attended the Navigator in New York last uh, November, it's a conference held by the Beeler Tech team. And man, so it was not, it was predominantly sell side and tech, I'm not gonna lie. And um, a lot of the discussions that I was part of included direct versus programmatic it's like no we're making more money direct um and programmatic is just setting us up you know for for failure it's not it's not really encouraging our business our values and things like that so what's what's your point of view on that programmatic versus direct um when you say programmatic are you talking like open bidding and header open bidding web yep the open yeah. Uh, internet well yeah open internet open web <laughs> I, th- I think they bur- they both serve a function and a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, for businesses like ours, we, we if you want to buy Playwire, it's and, and the portfolio of sites that we and the verticals that we work with, whether you're kids or real estate or entertainment or moms, mm-hmm. it's way more efficient for a buyer to buy us programmatically. Mm-hmm. However, it also comes with a lot of ambiguity, mm-hmm. comes with a lot of lack of transparency. Yeah. Are my ads viewable? Are they the best they can see? The clients that work best with us, like, you know, Kellogg's or Hasbro or McDonald's, we're, we use we use the term what's called customizable scale. Mm-hmm. You want to buy just what I'll call spots and dots, which are basically like banners, called IB banners. Mm-hmm. You're, you're probably better off buying us through the open market, right? It's more efficient. You can get your, and, and truth be told, 
the way my definition of open market is nothing more than ad networks of old. These are people trying to back into some kind of conversion metric somewhere, mm -hmm. somewhere in some kind of conversion funnel. Mm -hmm. The people who work closely with us create these unique ad units that we will run across our portfolio of sites that get high viewable, that are very highly, high, highly engaged, very high in view. And mm -hmm. we kind of have a lot of reporting, a lot of analytics. We're making sure they're addressing first. So there's a lot, there's a big differentiation, which is like, hey, I'm willing to pay more to have a direct relationship and a direct, direct conversation with your consumer versus I want nothing more than a transaction and I don't care where it comes from. Mm -hmm. That in my mind is open web versus direct. Got it. Got it. Okay. You know, you made me think about um, a recent article that came out from the ad exchanger. I think it was Sarah Sluice. And she wrote about, <clears throat> oh man, I have to remember, but it was talking about how the industry are duplicating some of this inventory on the open internet. Have you read it? I got to look up the article. What do you mean? So she mentioned how, um, <clears throat> let me look it up real quick. She mentioned how the, the industry started with, we moved from waterfalls into open bidding, but the, the ultimately thing is, oh, oh here's the, um, the attack of the clones, programmatic hidden scou scourge of bid duplication. Um, and she talks about how big duplication is getting extreme. Buyers are staying to take notice of this strange behavior. And it's basically talking about how, um, oh man, I wish I, I had a better way to explain it, but how um, header bidding is, is not what it is for buyers. Um, and then she touched on traffic shaping. Mm -hmm. which I wasn't very familiar with that. Like, can you speak a little bit of like traffic shaping? Obviously I'm putting you on the spot here. Okay. And I should have, no, uh, no I should have taken no better notes of the articles too, but like, can you talk a little bit about traffic shaping? Cause I feel like that's something like went above my head. Yeah. So he header bidding was really just created to, to combat Google. So the way Google works right. is you know, <laughs> they do an auction and they have something what's called the second price auction, which is like, Five Hey, mm -hmm. I'll bid 30 cents. Google does a bid at 25 cents, header bidding is 30, uh, you know, uh, yeah, 30 okay. cents and they do it for 31 cents. So it's kind of like, how do we combat that? Um, so that that's header bidding. Um, but traffic shaping is really the best, again, I, I'll use like I was talking to my five-year-old, mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. making sure you're fishing where the fish are is number one. And then also cutting down on what I would say, um, extraneous bids and, and ad calls, right? So you've got, you've got two conflicting parties. You have the, de the demand and the supply side. The demand side is trying to buy it as efficiently as possible. And the supply side is trying to, they're trying to buy it as cheap as possible. And the supply side is trying to sell it as much as possible. And unfortunately, the way the system works today is publishers are benefit from the more ad calls they make and the more sort and the more times and people that they have in the, in the bid stream, the higher the rates will be. Mm -hmm. However, there's a lot of waste that goes along on like, you know, QPS. Oh, so the bid duplication comes into like, there's the, the, the multiple times that a publisher, well, not a publisher, SSP is making that bid across. Right. So, you know, you're not, you're not hitting the servers as many times, right? So you might do an auction to, you know, mm -hmm. 10 SSPs and then you re-auction those 10 SSPs. And next thing you know, it kind of spirals out of control from there. So uh, bid shaping is really the 
ability to kind of put the right buyer in front of the right ad call and and kind of connect those dots a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently mm-hmm. than 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 normal, right? So our goal, and especially with SPO, you know, you know what that stands for, mm-hmm. supply yes. path optimization. Yep, I'm a big you know, SPO. we're working very closely with the DSPs and SSPs to cut down on on all these extraneous bids. To quite, so one to cut down on carbon footprints and making sure we're putting the right buyer in front of the right audience and trying to connect those dots as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. Um, would you think? Would you say that's also more sustainable for the planet? I would one hundred percent say that. Yeah, because yeah, like we're not again, we're not duplicating the 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 recalls and the calls. Well, it's less for everyone, right? It's less ads it for is. us, less cost for us, less cost for them. You know, there's less server bandwidth, right? It costs yeah. them money to take all these bids. Oh, yeah, for sure. Process mm-hmm. queries. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So what, um, and I'll end, uh, well, we'll end this this discussion with, with this, right? Um, so what does that mean? Um, tell us your maybe, how is that affecting the gaming industry specifically, right? Um, last year, we heard a lot about Twitch, Roblox, Metaverse, and how advertisers should look into that that as a placement or as a new channel or whatever is a new sexy thing. Um, so what's your what's your maybe give us like a quick like okay this is what you should know about where we stand as an industry when it comes to the gaming inventory and maybe give us an example of what gaming is because apparently it's way beyond the psp the xbox because i thought that's way <laughs> but apparently it's way larger and i read a study that says that women are bigger gaming gamers than men in general i think it was from um i can't remember so talk to us a little bit about about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair statement. You know, I would say you know, gaming has always been like this. Like, there's a nebulous criteria about what a gamer is, right? Mm-hmm. I would say gamers today are are it's almost become ubiquitous. Like everyone's a gamer in some way, shape, or form. You know, you ask someone like, "Are you a gamer?" Like, not really. But meanwhile, they're playing Candy Crush on their phone. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, you are. Is a gamer, and the number one gamers are actually household moms. Believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Can I, use okay. that? I say that anymore. I don't, I don't, anyway, yeah. So. uh uh, I would say gaming in general, in my opinion, is I personally love gaming and mm-hmm. not so much because, you know, I'm in it and I'm it's a little bit self-serving, but it is the only medium, in my opinion, actually mm-hmm. not in my opinion, that this is factual, that the user needs to engage and do something. You need to lean in. You need to kind of okay. engage with the content. You need to press something. You need to kind of think about what you're doing and it engages the user versus just you're kind of in a more of a sit back, relax situation when you're reading content. Gaming, you're kind of leaned in, right? You're playing your game, you're going through a, a level, you're trying to solve a puzzle, whatever it may be. And I think that's why gaming is so interesting to advertisers yeah. is that okay. it keeps okay. people's attention, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, you look at anyone, they're watching TV, they're on their phone, they have the iPad, you know, there's a million distractions. Gaming, you literally are present while you your attention is there like you have to pay attention to your game Mm -hmm. so i think that that's why it's become so interesting to advertisers it's it's become a bigger audience uh both financially and a footprint size than even the movie or entertainment business right so gaming's become bigger than that probably one of the biggest industries in the world if not the, the biggest industry well yeah and we have these new contenders like like roblox roblox is a partner of ours 
mm-hmm. and their concurrent users is going through the roof these days. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is a renaissance where, you know, Roblox is really relatively known for younger children or yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. However, we're seeing teens. teenagers and yeah, yeah. You know, my, my nieces are teens. They, they about the Roblox life. <laughs> right. Because Roblox was able to take this yeah. kind of metaverse mm-hmm. and let people make whatever they want out of it. Mm. And, and the beauty for brands is they can actually now create great content and great experiences for users like we've done for craft and for other clients where they can bring their brand, allow users to engage. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of a conversation and they're leaned in. So I think that's why gaming's so interesting to yeah. my that that's our stance on it. But here's a, a question that just popped into my mind because as a trader, so I traded for many years in DSPs, multiple of them at the time. Um, I guess this may be an outdated question, but like gaming makes a lot of sense sense for brands, but how do we protect the brand's integrity without disrupting the gamer's attention, right? Like I'm playing, I actually don't play a lot of games. I can't even give you um, an example of what I would play. But let's say we play Candy Crush on the phone and then Mm -hmm. I see an ad pop up. That's annoying. Actually, my daughter plays on her iPad. And whenever we play Sonic, because we're a big fan of Sonic, I mean, once in a while when she loses, we were popped into that that annoying ad that we can't skip until we watch 15 seconds. She's three and a half, right? 15 seconds is three hours to her. So how do we, how do we, What's your best practice? Okay, if you have a case for this type of inventory, which makes a lot of sense as a brand, what are best practices so that we don't disrupt and we protect that brand's integrity? Then again, Um, advertising is disruptive. But anyway, you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would say that's the number one conflict we have sometimes with brands or agencies is that you really want authenticity, right? You don't want to be like, in a World of Warcraft or whatever game it is, like that's mm-hmm. set in medieval times and like have a picture of Coke. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. It looks out of place. The br- it would be bad for the brand. Yeah. And we've seen experience like that. The yeah. best advice I could give for anyone who's a brand advertiser is mm-hmm. work closely with the people who either make the games, like like either like ourselves or the game makers themselves mm-hmm. in scenarios. So you want to have an experience that is fluid, that feels natural. And I mean, we've had situations where someone, a brand's like, why don't we do X, Y, and Z? Like, that is a horrible idea. And, you know, sometimes they force it and it's a horrible experience. And like, oh, we should have listened to you. So Mm -hmm. it's really listen to the experts, find something that makes sense, find something that aligns with your brand, but you don't want it so intrusive that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's just so obvious, right? Um, You know, we work like clients like Roblox or Outfit 7 or Pop Mm -hmm. Tropica. Uh, We work with all kinds of like these metaverse where we're doing these experiential things. And mm-hmm. when done correctly, it's amazing, right? You change a character to look I bet. like- it makes sense. Player, totally. Yeah, so if done right, it, it's great. Mm-hmm. You, you know, uh, and again, it's picking the right partner, right? I mean, a lot of people claim to do these things and sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. So, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, like anything else in life, you gotta pick the right partner. Okay, let me ask this one last question, even though the last question was the last question for the last three minutes, but- um, sure. How important is creative messaging then? Because I, again, when I hear gaming, when I hear gaming inventory, I think about that, that okay, 320 by 50, right? It's that little, little ass right here. And sometimes you can't even read it. You can't even see it. Mm-hmm. So like how, how creative has become, like messaging has become on, on gaming now? 
outside of the interstitial, outside of like the what was it, the reward points? Rewarded from, video, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think messaging is always important, right? You always want to have some kind of you know, CTA or call to action, right? Um, yeah. We did a campaign recently. I'll leave. I'll exclude the brand's name, but. Mm-hmm very different results and they you know they didn't understand why we couldn't understand why i mean materially different click rates lifts efficiencies conversion rates and it literally one was an offer and one was not mm. and the one with the offer did really well right. and the one obviously you know it's it's basic it's mm-hmm. basic it's fundamentals uh but sometimes we forget that we get like you know we, we try to be i'm always like i'm a big advocate of keep it simple stupid Right. <laughs> try to keep it as simple as humanly possible. When you try to get too abstract, I find the messaging gets lost. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But you really need to have an amazing uh, agency or, or creative talent to get that yeah. get that across properly. Got it. Um, I agree with you about the keep it simple. I like to say that us as consumers are extremely lazy. So you got to make it very easy for me to get where I need to be instead of anything else. If it's too complicated, I drop, you know. If it's too slow, I drop too. <laughs> that's another. That's another point too. So let's pivot into our closing segments here. Um, what are three things you really want people to remember about our conversation? About our conversation? Yeah, about our conversation. So think about again. Think about the person managing the campaigns. Think about the ops. Like, what is three things they should take action on, on this knowledge, which is we talk about brand safety. We talk about what it means to be in the gaming world. We talk about. <laughs> you know what? You're kind of setting me up here because. Uh, <laughs> no, no. In a, in a good way. Cause th- these, these three words really encompass everything that we're focusing on in 2024. Nice. From a business perspective. So uh, these nice. words align seamlessly with what I'm about to say, which is really. Okay. Whoever you're working with, or whatever you're doing, you really want to look for three primary things. Okay. First one, quality, cool, right? You want to make sure you're dealing with, you know, we, we talked about, you know, viewability oh, and IBT. Important. And yeah. Hey, hey, am I working both with quality and with a quality firm? Mm-hmm. Is it performance? So quality, quality performance. performance, and transparency are the three words that we that we, that we're focusing on for this year. Yeah. Um, so quality is it performing? And performance could be many things. And we talked about this, right? Like, is it viewable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the click rate? Um, what's, is it, you know, low IBT, you know, all the metrics you want. Mm-hmm. And lastly, transparency. Mm-hmm. What am I actually buying? What are the things I'm getting out of it? Am I getting the reports I need? Is it going where it's supposed to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it being seen? So mm-hmm. quality, performance, and transparency. And, you know, once you have quality, performance should follow through fairly well and transparency so it's like can it's almost like the, a triangle i see mm-hmm. it's like if you have one you, you should have the other two should you done the right thing and if you don't at least you know what to work with um but i man that's that's so that's so genius um and what is one thing you're and i ask this question with every every guest because i'm really curious but what is one thing you wish you you wish you knew then that you now know? Think about what would you tell your freshman self just starting in this industry? Yo, you need to understand this in order to get to where you are more efficiently, more effectively, faster, whatever. I learned this a little bit later on, but you mm-hmm. you know, being a leader, you always have to 
I guess there's two things. One, you always have to be a lifelong learner. Amen. Um, the animal I was when I started the company, <laughs> meaning, you know, I was probably hotheaded, you know, just, just no work-life balance, but mm -hmm. you need to then, as the company grows, you need to grow with it. And I was lucky enough to have some very, um, good mentors along the way. My old, my, nice. my old COO, his name is Christian Blanco. Love this man to death. Uh, was so instrumental in taking me and molding me from like what I would say an entrepreneur to an executive. And you really need to be a different person uh, is the first thing I'd say. And really just action, you know, just, you know, mm. we have a, I have a saying, or actually um, we have a saying in our company and it's really, you know, knowledge thinks wisdom speaks action wins. You just mm -hmm. gotta have constantly be moving forward nonstop yep. and just get, get shit done. Yeah, I, I love how this quote says, like, knowledge is power, but I, I don't think so. I think actionable knowledge is power. If you don't act, if you don't activate on this knowledge, like, it's almost like it's just catching dust, right? It's like, yeah. you got to take action. I absolutely love that. And I see books behind you. Like, I'm a big book person. So what do you think our next read should be? Um, if you haven't already, mm -hmm. uh, have you read Great by Choice by Jim Collins? No, Great that by Choice. My, Okay. Favorite, okay. favorite okay. book. Okay. Um, if you're an entrepreneur or running a company, mm -hmm. there's a book called Traction. It stands mm -hmm. for, and, and, it, and it's basically something called EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pretty basic fundamentals and stuff you a lot of us know, but it kind of puts it in a way in a format that's very digestible and mm -hmm. makes it very easy for you to kind of understand your business, which I absolutely love. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. And if you just want a simple read, it's like a, just a great book for, you know, quick, you know, few day read. It's called The Go-Giver. And it's just a great story about, you know, business. Okay. Those are my three books. All right. Well, thank you so much for dropping by. If anybody needs to reach out to you, how can they do so? Uh, you can reach me at J, letter J, Dubin, D-U-B-I-N, mm -hmm. at playwire.com. See, easy to remember, Playwire. <laughs> it is very very easy to remember and all of jason's information will be in the show notes or on this youtube description box right below you again if you're listening make sure you drop the thumbs up make sure you show us some love on social media and then again i'll have all of jason's playwires information including their linkedin and so thank you again jason for stopping by anything else you want to finish leave us with no, Helen, this, is, this has been great. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to future pod podcasts and uh, I'm going I'm I'm to become an avid follower. So thank you. Thank you so much for dropping by. <laughs> thank you.